Hey, this is Marina, and you're listening to Sober Baby, a show about how the one thing I have to change is everything. Every Friday, I invite you to hang out with me and my guests on Instagram Live as we talk about addiction, sobriety, and everything in between. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here. Today, I am drinking a new flavor of LaCroix, Beach Plum. Beach Plum. Laura, who was on the first season, um, recommended that I try this, and I've never been able to find it. I just found it like at Aldi today, but we're gonna try LaCroix Beach Plum. I'm also like, where is there ever a Beach Plum? But um, I hope y'all are drinking water. I'm a little dehydrated too, so I also have a water cup. Um, but it's December. Happy December, everyone. I'm gonna open this. Is it good? Let's see if it's good. Okay. It smells like cough syrup. God. It's just such a good design though. Like, look at that. Look at that juicy ass plum. For those of you who are listening and not watching, the LaCroix can has a beach scene on it, like Fort Lauderdale, and then it has like some cumulonimbus clouds, and then this juicy two-dimensional peach in that kind of classically terrible 1990s LaCroix font. I don't know. Okay, here we go. I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Really? And also on the bottom, I just want to say, LaCroix, like, I would love to be sponsored by you, but also it says zero dash calorie. Zero sweetener. Zero sodium equals innocent. Your math is, like, so... Help me, help me understand, you know? Um, whatever. Never a little setup. Um... Yeah, I don't know how about the lighting right now, to be to be honest with you, but this is the lighting that we're doing today. Um, welcome to Sober Baby. I am Marina. I am the host of Sober Baby, and that's my cat me meowing and mewing in the background. Um, my brain is, I literally like don't know how to start other than I just submitted my thesis. I literally just submitted my thesis 10 minutes ago. Um, and so I'm feeling like, I am feeling like the 100 mile stare right now. I'm just like, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> um, I just worked so hard to write that paper and make the art and everything. And I'm just like, and then like, literally I'm like wearing a separate shirt under here. And like, I have my pajama bottoms on, you know, that zoom grind. So I just, uh, I think it's so funny that the life that I'm living right now is um, just like back-to-back -back things that I get to do. And I'm, I don't know, I wrote about Sober Baby in my thesis and I'm just so like astonished. I don't know, just like astonished that um, not only like am I sober today, but like I fucking just did that. And I did that sober, you know? And I rarely ever say I'm proud of myself. If you know me, then you definitely know that I'm not someone who's like, I'm so proud of this, but I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm really, really proud. And if you wanna read a copy of it, email me. But um, yeah, I think it's fitting that, oh wait, oh my God, it's not recording, hold on. I think it's fitting, not me being audio engineer and sober baby and LaCroix, Literally me. Oh, the card is full, Jenny. Sorry, Jenny. The card is full. So that's what you're going to get. I think it's fitting that the day that I like turn in my thesis and effectively kind of mark the conclusion of my graduate school program, which I've been doing for three and a half years, um, is also a Sober Baby episode with someone who I met in grad school. Um, one of my favorite people who I met in grad school. And um, I'm really, really grateful that uh, Devlin, who is the show's guest today, was someone that I ran into um, at UF. I actually want to, like, when you come on, I want to, like, ask you how we met because I don't really remember. But I'm really grateful that I got to meet Devlin um, at UF and in Gainesville and that 
um, I don't know, just like watching, watching Devlin make art and watching Devlin stay really true to the kind of like person that he wanted to become and not allowing, um, just like oppressive academic institutions to crush what he like needed to do to make shit happen was really inspiring to me and certainly like gave me the, um, the courage, if you will, to say like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I need to do to get this work done. And I'm going to like really bust my ass to do this. So I'm really, really grateful that, um, I get to also, I haven't even like seen Devlin in months, dude, like I'm freaking out. So I'm going to allow him into the space. Um, I'm going to invite into the chat. Hold on. Wait you've requested come on in watch us have like super tech issues <gasps> it's me hello can you hear me okay yeah okay awesome. <gasps> hi hi oh my god i haven't seen you in so long yeah it's um oh it's been a minute i've been i've been a lot of places uh let me, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk with this for a bit. Super, super behind the scenes and professional. I'm going to grab my Bluetooth speaker so I can hear you better, but okay. I can walk and talk. I'm just going upstairs. That's okay. Um, I can also just talk. Um, so yeah, as I was talking before Devlin joined the live stream, I met Devlin, I think two years ago at UF, um, when I never asked you your pronouns, Devlin. I'm sorry. Are you, are you, what are your pronouns? Oh, uh, he, him. Okay. So I met Devlin when he was at UF as a graduate student in the art and tech, um, field major concentration. And I don't know, I don't remember like the first time I met you, but I was just like, who is this guy? Like literally who is this? <laughs> I remember it was, it was kind of funny actually. Um, what happened? So it was, uh, let's see, let me just get plugged in here and okay. look in my... I'm trying this. to figure out how to wear this turtleneck. I'm like, do you wear the turtleneck like low on the neck? Do you wear it like all the way up so that the neck no longer? Right. That's that's very. I have no idea. Oh, you're frozen. It might be that kind of episode where it's frozen. Um, I have one of those Samsung phones, and if you hit the button, it like activates the personal assistant. I was plugging it into my tripod, and it procked it. Um, okay, how did we meet? Super kind of. Uh, interesting so down uh at grad house which if you guys are sort of listening and you're not sure like what that is that's the um mfa studios at uf they're kind of like this big concrete warehouse off a of university um it's a fun little neighborhood but down the way from there uh there was like a bfa show going on at like somebody's house and uh we were we had heard about it and we were like oh let's walk down and I don't remember whose show it was. I, I I have a hard time remembering that. But I remember going up on like the second floor to look at some like photos on the wall. And you had like these like snakeskin pants on and like this scorpion tattoo. And I was like, oh, that's like super cool. And you were like, yeah, I'm here with my girlfriend. I was like, oh, sick. Like, I'm a grad. You're like, oh, I'm trying to be a grad in photo. And I was like, oh, awesome. And like that was sort of that general conversation. And then I remember going... Mm down to the backyard and eating some muffins and then going back to grad house. Cause we were making dumplings that night, but that was, that was kind of like the first time I met you. And then we didn't really have a class together until, um, Anthea's seminar, the, the fall of a fall of my third mm. year. If that, if that, yeah. recalls well, I don't remember that. It was, it was just you like know, a quick, it totally like, didn't, but minutes. that house, I was probably just like super socially anxious and not really paying attention. Um, but I just definitely remember when you came into my studio cause I was playing rap music and you were just oh, like, yeah. huh, you listen to this. And I was like, yeah, do you? Yeah. And we kind of just like, we're scoping each other out. Um, just yeah, just vibing. Um, but now you're a teacher, you're now a professor, not in Florida yes. anymore. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, so if y'all know who Hillary Clinton is, she did like a uh, Vine um, back in the day. Of like, I'm chilling in Cedar Rapids. That's where that is. It's eastern Iowa. Uh, so like four hours from Chicago. Oh, true. Yeah. 
True. Well, thanks for being here. And um, are you in your like apartment robe? Are you wearing a robe? No, I'm wearing I'm wearing a, a cardigan <laughs> because I'm trying those out now because it's like um it was it was like 40 or 30 this morning. I think right now it's like 54, so mm. it's going to get down to like 27. Now I've been trying to rock these, you know, I have to teach, so and I teach art, so I can't just dress up in like a a suit. I'm going to get stuff on it. So cardigans and sweaters are like my workaround. So I can just wear like a t-shirt underneath and just like pop this off if I need to do like a demo or something. Amazing. Um, I'm just wearing this because I got cold. I don't usually wear turtlenecks and I've actually been wearing the same sweatsuit for three weeks straight. But um, yeah, I so Devlin and I talked a little bit before the show about um, why I was interested in having him on Sober Baby. And a lot of it sprung from your your thesis project and, um, the kind of topics that you took on. And I don't know if you still are, but I would, I would think that inevitably they've like shaped kind of the current projects that you're working on. And so I was just kind of wondering, like to segue it from cardigans to mental health, um, if you could just kind of talk about maybe where, how you're kind of coming into this moment as someone who has experiences with a variety of different like um mental I don't know mental health uh experiences I don't know just like yeah yep that's my question <laughs> that's oh. my good question <laughs> so um just so I get it correctly you're kind of are you asking like how I come into like just existing with these experiences or like, like the work I make, or do you mean like on the, on the show? Sorry. Like I want to make sure I, I don't derail mm. that. Yeah, no, I think I mean both. I think I mean both because inevitably like your experiences off of sober baby are going to shape how you're coming into the space. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious about, I mean, you can talk about what your life was like growing up. You can talk about kind of how your art practice has shaped, um, your kind of current like moment and, and kind of how you're entering sober baby whatever you want to say it's open you know what i can do all three of those things and they'll they'll tie together pretty okay, nice great. and easy great uh, and if you guys if you have a question like feel free to pop in and interject no problem so life-wise um you know with these discussions about mental health a lot of this sort of event uh only only really takes place between well i guess you can make the argument like you grow up and you're surrounded by circumstances but like the big pop off right didn't really happen until i was like 16 uh so from like 16 to like 17 and a month before turning 18 was like when this the the events that i tend to reflect on in my work happened um so so at 16, I was in high school. It was like my second year. And I think that was like the very first interaction that I had had with like the institution. Uh, and that was a pretty like mm, harmless one. Oh, well, not harmless, but it was like this, you know, attempt to sort of, uh, how do they say it on TikTok, right? Like you unalive, like one of those attempts. Yeah. Um, and it was over like something so that seemed really meaningless at the time. I think I just got in trouble for something and I wasn't allowed to practice sports anymore. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I've got nothing else going on for me. So what are we doing? And so they had taken me to a hospital and they had assessed me. And then I had spent like two weeks at uh, KU Med, which is like a, a veterinary school in Kansas. Um, and then I got back from that, and then that had sort of acted as the catalyst for the next year and like almost two years, where we're meeting with like psychiatrists and they're giving me these prescriptions. So at the time, they had sort of uh, diagnosed me with like a series of 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 disorders. Um, and for kind of historical context, this is taking place in 2009, 2010. 
So if you're like unfamiliar with like the history of, of mental illness, like you're just now getting past like a overdiagnosis of like ADHD, as you would see in like the early 2000s. And then you're getting into like Asperger's OCD territory when they were like, well, there's this big autism spectrum and we're now finding out that people fall on it. And it's like this whole thing. So now they're kind of trying to um, compartmentalize these symptoms and, and, and diagnose them. Mm. So I, I'm at the psychiatrist and she's like, well, you know, we think that you have like manic depression and like bipolar, like NOS, which I think still means not otherwise specified, if I remember that one correctly. Uh, and there was something about like compulsive overeating. And then they were giving me like one or two others, like catatonic schizophrenia, because I just didn't talk a whole lot. So we're getting this like wave of diagnoses. Um, and as such, they're prescribing me with two antidepressants and an antipsychotic. So I was taking Prozac, Abilify, and Geodon. Uh, Geodon is like this thing that you would give schizophrenics, but it's side effects or it's like off-label use, which is a term that is pretty important. Um, basically, off-label use means that if you prescribe a medication, it has like secondary and tertiary effects that people can kind of uh, use to market, right? So it's off-label use is that it's a mild sedative. Why were they giving me a mild sedative? Well, I would get up and walk around at night as like a teenager and sneak around the house. So I'm taking these three things. And, you know, going to these appointments, you know, having some case managers. And that was kind of life for a while. Um, you know, they'll show up to school. I'm like, oh, that's my aunt, you know, whatever. They're sitting in all my classes. I'm like, yo, yeah, she's just visiting. Of course, the teachers know, but, you know, it's a high schooler. That's like such a volatile social dynamic that you just have to lie and come up with something. It's like super, it's a little jacked up. Um, and so that's, that was kind of it, right? I mean, was I practicing off and on? Like, it would be like, okay, new season. Oh, well, no. And, and then sometimes my coaches are like, hey, is everything going okay? And I'm like, you know, this is just life, right? You don't really know anything different. So I'm sort of just acknowledging this as like baseline typical existence because I don't, I don't know what my peers are going through, right? And sometimes in high school, you end up like gravitating towards similar like people who go through things. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, like this is normal for all of us to be in this like semi-dysfunctional like way of living. Um, and so that was, that was that. And really, I didn't have that many institutional visits until I was like 17, like February, uh, where they had sent me off to like a long-term treatment facility. And that one was a, that was a big pop, really. Um, you know, it was this whole thing and I had to sort of go to this place and they were giving me like this pamphlet and they were kind of like, okay, like, hey, this is happening. You know, here's why. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And my dad's like, you know, um, I guess be good, do your best. Um, quick segue. And if I ever like get too far off, please feel free to like toss me back on the track. Cause, cause sometimes I'll like leave out context. Um, so my dad, he, he wasn't married to my like biological mom at this time. Uh, he was married to my stepmom, who's now his ex-wife. And I'm bringing this up because it's really important because she studied psychology, right? Mm. So she was sort of somebody who um, kind of saw this erratic teenage behavior and was the first to really like push for um, a psychiatric intervention. Because my dad, he had no idea. He was like, oh, you're just, you know, being a teenager, whatever. We'll punish you as we see fit. But her and her experience was kind of like, oh, no, these are underlying symptoms. Like, we need to get this much help. The TV's glowing pink. I need to turn that off. There we go. Um, and that is, that's kind of what uh, accelerated a lot of this. And so, you know, he's kind of an unbiased, well, he's not really unbiased. He just doesn't know what to do. And he's just kind of going along with what he thinks is um, like what you should do. So he escorted me to this place. Uh, 
they're not open anymore. They're called like they were called Miralac. It's another place in like northeastern Kansas. I know they're not open anymore because I tried to get my records for my thesis show and a ton of back and forth of like bureaucracy. They're like, yeah, we can't find them. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't find my medical records, dude? Like, what? Um, so that was that was a weird, a weird thing. But I'm at this place. I end up staying there for about six months and without like, you know, to sort of keep this thing along with pacing. Uh, it was like a PRTF psychiatric residential treatment facility where essentially you um, you live there for uh, I think it's six to nine months. Generally, you uh, you have a pretty strict routine. You have daily activities like different types of therapy Monday through Friday. Uh, you have like classes during the school year. Um, you know you can like go outside and stuff you can like earn an allowance which i guess the guy who ran that place would also sometimes not give people their money it was basically like mini prison but not really the more that i think about it um i kept a journal at one point but i was there for a while uh you know and eventually you get like visitation so you can like leave for a weekend um while I was there, they were just kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's doing pretty good. And I'm like, yes. And, you know, they're like, you know, are you trying to show any sort of like remorse or rehabilitation? And I'm like, dude, I haven't really done anything, but okay, no. So that's like dampening any recovery process, um, which leads to the interesting point of like actively trying to break the rules and suffer the consequences to show rehabilitation which is just a really roundabout way to say like starting arguments and then going to my room to cool off. So that way these people can see like, oh, he's handling his emotions. And I'm like, yes, obviously stupid. Like I've been doing this this whole time. So stuff like that, just trying to sort of game the system. Um, I hope this is giving you some interesting questions <laughs> as time goes on. Uh, but anyway, around like September 11th, they discharged me, which is something, you know, I the date I got out. And then uh, I went back to school like nothing ever happened. You know, that was my junior year about to be a senior. And then my senior year of high school, um, there was a minor pop off, which was I was working. So I worked at like a Dairy Queen in high school uh, and I worked a lot just so I didn't have to be at home um so much actually like I worked through prom all these dances I go to practice I would go to work and I would just I, I worked I worked a ton uh, but I remember one night I was dating somebody that I worked with and you know she was like having a moment like she had some family stuff so she drove me back to my house and we took like the long route to just like talk it out like hey like what are you going through right I don't really have a phone so this is kind of what we got um and so we're like talking through this stuff and then she drops me off. It's like cold. It's snowing. But I sort of knock on the door and I see the TV on in the family room and nobody's coming to the door to let me in. Uh, and so I like huck a snowball at the window to be like, yo, like, let me in. Um, at this point, you might be wondering, where is your house key? I wasn't given a house key because I wasn't trusted to be in the house after being sent away for six months. Uh, because I think my stepmom was afraid to sort of be alone with me. And like, at this point, I'm just kind of like, yo, I just want to graduate and leave like high school, like just get me out. I'm done. Um, so that's why I wasn't able to sort of just let myself in. There wasn't a whole lot of trust in this household. Uh, so I'm outside. My dad's at work and he doesn't get off until like 1130. He was working at Blockbuster. Um, shout out Blockbuster, RIP. But he comes home he's like raising hell like why are you trying to break in why are you scaring everybody and i'm like yo i've been sitting in the snow for an hour snow in kansas at this point was up to my calf so i'm kind of cold i'm like just let me in and he's like you know quit talking back all of this sort of general disciplinary things and i'm like can you please let me speak my piece and have my opinion on what happened he's like no and i'm like okay he's like if you keep talking you're done and i was like bet so I like walked my ass to my friend's house, like a mile down the street. Um, and I hung out with them for a couple of days. And then I think I spent like maybe two weeks just going like place to place, going to school, leaving before like third period, 
and just like spending my day somewhere else. That happened for about two weeks. And then they were like, I love the word pop off, <laughs> flare up episode. Um, sorry, I was just reading a comment. But uh, that was about two weeks of just sort of going to school, ditching. Like, I remember taking out a cash advance from my job and like buying some clothes, like buying a phone and just like staying with people like 20 minutes out, 10 minutes out, just staying out of the area and just not staying in one place, you know. And at one point I was like at work and the cops were there and they were like, hey, you know, um, we want to make sure you're not like running away. And I'm like, okay, here's my ID. They're like, oh, well, you're 18. So this is out of our hands. And I'm like, yes, I, I know. Thank you. Um, eventually like one of my case managers like contacts me and they're like, Hey, you know, we think you should probably come back and talk it out. And I'm like, sure. If you guys want to have a conversation. So I come back, we talk about it. And then they put me in like a halfway house for an additional weekend. Cause again, the issue of safety, right? What's Devlin going to do when you're sleeping? Uh, so I deal with that. And this is my senior year of high school. And it was really interesting my senior year because I had so many credits from the long-term institution uh, that I really only needed one credit to graduate. And that was like the required senior project. So I didn't have to take any of my classes seriously. Um, granted, I still tried because I liked the classes that I was in. You know, school is school's kind of fun, if you can imagine that. But um, I remember, I remember this because I failed pre-calculus my senior year. Like I got like a 56 in it. It was, I bombed this math class so bad. Uh, but I remember having to go, I remember going to class at 8 a.m. before everyone else's classes started and trying to get tutored from the teacher. Because even though I didn't need the class, I'm kind of hard-headed and I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I really want to try here. Like, I just wasn't getting it. So I failed the heck out of that class, but all my other classes were fine. And so I graduated. Um, and that was interesting because I go to my graduation ceremony and I had pretty much made the decision to go live with my mom afterwards. Uh, she was in Indianapolis and we had kind of talked about it. And I was like, hey, dad, like, I'm done. Sorry, I'm out, you know. And he was like, you know, this is the last time you're going to see your family. Like, make sure you're all packed. Like, make sure your room is clean. Like, we're going to charge you like a security deposit if it's like fucked up. Um, and I'm like, okay, sir. So I'm like cleaning my room, deep cleaning all this stuff. Uh, I've got like all my bags packed downstairs. I'm celebrating my graduation. And then that night I take my stuff and go in a hotel and stay with them, my mom and her boyfriend at the time. And the next day we go to Indy. Uh, I stay in Indianapolis for a while. And this is, this is some important context because it, it leads into sort of school. Um, and then I decided to come back to Kansas because in July, like that July, my great grandma had passed away. And that was a really interesting funeral because we saw so many family members come together uh, that you, you know, like, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but with our family, there's like that one family member that like brought everybody together. And because they were no longer with us, you kind of start to notice that some people spend less time with each other for like occasions. And um, at her at her funeral, I saw people that I hadn't seen in years. And that's kind of when it hit me. I was like, oh man, like I could leave and I could like carve out my own life, but there are enough people that I'm related to that I don't hate that I'd like to see. Um, and so I can't just be like petty towards this woman that my dad's dating. And so I'm like, you know, we'll go back to Kansas. I'll stay with my grandparents. I'll go to college at K-State, no problem. So I go to college, right? I'm doing that. Um, there's not a whole lot to sort of say about undergrad just because I was doing printmaking and digital media. So I was just kind of making art, just exploring. I wasn't really thinking about this stuff. Um, but then I went to UF, right? And this is kind of where we'll go to go to the work part. But at UF, uh, I wasn't really thinking about these topics until like the spring semester of my second year, maybe the fall semester of my second year um, before, before we had class together. And that was because um, my committee chair at the time, Jack, uh, Jack Center, we were doing an independent study uh, the summer before. And all I was really doing was like helping him with a project that he had to install. 
Um, but because he, I think something fell through with like compensation through the university, they weren't able to like pay me for, he wasn't able to pay me for the work because he had written a grant and you know how UF goes with the politics. And so I was like, all right, fine. Like, um, if you can't pay me, that's cool. I'll still work with you because I like you, but I'm going to bother you so much about art making, like, because I have so many questions about how this works. You know, how important is theory? How do you know what to make ideas about? Like, how qualified do you have to be to talk about a subject? All these little things that I, I started having to think about. And we would talk about during the day and on the trips to Orlando and stuff where he was installing the work. Um, and he brought up a really interesting point. And it was, you know, because I was like, I don't know what to make work about. And he's like, well, what do you like? What do you hate? Right? Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And I was sitting there for a minute and I was like, I can't really answer that question. I don't, I don't know. And he had said something. He said, well, you must have had a really cushy life then. And I was like, no, what? No, I did not. I had anything but that. And then you know, I had this whole conversation. I told him about all this stuff. I was like, nah, dude, like, I'm wrong, you know? And he was like, okay, like, that's interesting, right? Like, so from there, you have this story and you have like this pain and you can work on that. And, and he's like, well, here's how you sort of twist that into, um, I guess, being able to be material to work on that can be sort of respected, I guess, or at least acknowledged in an academic circle, right? You know, he was like, well, think about like automata theory and like, let's talk about like technology and control and data. And I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, I I, I get what you're telling me to do, right? It's because I think sometimes when you're making art about deeply personal subjects, you want to avoid, and this is what I tell my students too, I kind of say, well, you want to avoid like not being on a soapbox, but you want to talk about these topics in a way that people can inject themselves into the work in some capacity. Like it, you want to make something so that way somebody can look at it and say, oh, this is about a mental issue and uh, this relates to me somehow, right? I think it's like, oh, you want to see yourself in the work or you want to see somebody you know in the work. You don't just want it to be like, it's me, 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 um, because we're kind of taught that that's not engaging and I don't, I don't know how much truth is in that. I just, it, it made sense to me at the time. And it's something that I still try to sort of make sense of. Uh, so that happened. And after that conversation, I started writing stuff down, like, okay, what was the situation, right? I had to sit there and I had to revisit memories that I didn't even, that were just, they were gone, you know, stuff was just like locked away. Um, and I was like, okay, what really happened through this whole period? Write it down, look through social media, um, a few people who used to work at the hospital had like reached out a few years ago to just be like, Hey, how's everything going? And, you know, those were some conversations that I had to be like, Hey, how much do you remember about this? Cause you know, I think you push some of that stuff away, you repress it and you just kind of have to, it just, it, it goes away. And then like a smell or a taste or a song brings you back for that split second. And you're like, Oh, wow. Or you're talking to your friends at a party doing something like playing never have I ever and you bring up a story, and it's like, y'all didn't go through that? Really? Just me? Like, oh, okay. Or rip, I guess. Um, and so while I was in grad school, I got to really try to explore that, and then the question became, well, how do I make this into work? Like, how does this become artwork, right? And how do I survive a critique if I'm just bringing all this to the table? And, you know, talking to Jack about that, the answer kind of became sort of obvious it was to be to not worry about like poetics just presented as explicit information just tell the story like it is and you know maybe don't rely so much on metaphor but just kind of say hey like this is just information and I'm like yeah no that makes a lot of sense right we're talking about um sort of anonymizing not really anonymizing data but stripping it of its subjectivity by just presenting it as a series of words and a collection of memories that sure they belong to me, but they could belong to anybody. Like they're not, I don't think those experiences are unique, especially based on what I'm hearing. How do I survive a critique? Um, you know, I don't think they're unique if, I don't think they were unique and they weren't based on the people that I had met in these institutions and I had met in these spaces. Uh, so I started thinking about that. And so for those of you that don't know me, um, 
a lot of the work that I did in grad school would, I would, um, in undergrad, I kind of learned how to do like basic coding with Arduinos and they're like these little computers that you can just talk to and tell them to control sensors and motors. Uh, and I would expand on that in grad school by like 3D printing these housings and building these structures and just putting electronics inside of them that I would code. Um, and so when I was working on that medium, I was like wondering, okay, like these little machines, they're like me. They're just being told to do something and they have to follow it. And, but if I tell them this, if I tell them to do this, then it's not me doing it. It's the machines doing it with my sort of voice or information. So I'm removing myself from the work. And that seems to make sense. Like nobody really seemed to fight that in the critiques or in the meetings. And I was like, okay, I could keep, I could keep thinking about that. Um, so it was something that I played with. And then I tried to step away from like my own mental health. And I think during the first class we had, I built that, that brainwave piece um, that almost didn't work. Actually, that was, that was about to, that was about to cause some problems, but it ended up working just fine. Um, for, for context, if you weren't there, uh, I, I like hacked a toy that used to exist that I used to sell at Target. It's called like a MindFlex. I think you can buy the headsets on eBay. Um, but what's really cool about those is the electronics inside of them, the little board, um, you can interface it with another microcontroller and you can get like data from it that will read the waves and you can do whatever you want. Uh, there's artists like, I think Oliver Larrick has done EEG stuff. Um, I saw somebody, one of my friends sent me a TikTok of this, of this artist who does like brainwave stuff, but um, it's pretty easy to get into now. There's a ton of like help and documentation. Uh, but what I did was I, um, I hooked it up to, okay. I hooked it up to a receipt printer and I had this thing in like a little like UV, like germ killing bowl. And so you could like disinfect the headset and you could put it on and you, I, I had like a little QR code that I laser cut. You put it up on the wall, you watch this like cheesy, like Buzzfeed tutorial video. And the whole point of this piece was like, it reads your brain waves and you press a button. And in that split second decision, it like essentially diagnoses you and tries to sell you something. Um, and that piece went okay. You know, there were a few things that I, I would, I think I'd change if I remade it. Um, but it was interesting. And that was just me kind of trying to step away from being so like personal about it. Uh, but then when the thesis came, you know, you kind of have to sit and, and think, and I know that's something that you've, you had to experience just recently is just really unpacking it. Um, so if you don't, if you're unfamiliar with my thesis work, uh, what it was, was a sort of um, stage-like installation. I had a, I think it was a 10 by 10 platform that was about a half inch tall and a, I think it was a 10 by eight foot wall. And on that wall was a cabinet. It's actually over there in my living room, but uh, it was a cabinet that has like these little tiny 3D prints in them. Uh, and you open it up and it's like motion active or it's, it's activated by opening the door and a light glows and you take these 3D prints out and you put them on these little cubes that have like a laser pointer on them. And when you put them on there uh, and take it off, it'll play a voice clip. And the voice clip is one of 33 potential voice clips that are like a minute and a half to two minute excerpts of that whole mental health story from like getting sent off to coming home. So it's just condensed into this thing. Um, and that was one part of the piece. And then on another, on one corner, I had this table that had like a little rotating dial. Um, it was modeled after one of the pill sorters that I had, which is, which was an interesting choice. But when you rotated the dial, it would like play a video of these like hand drills. And those hand drills were like these sensory motor drills that I had to do to make sure the medications weren't like messing with me in any way. But you wouldn't know that unless you actually listened to the uh, the very specific audio clip that addresses it. So that was like a really fun Easter egg. And then on the other corner, I had like this computer table and you're like taking a quiz and this quiz is asking you like, eval screening questions it's sort of framed as like an eval or like an a survey and it's like 
you know, mixed, uh, it's like mental health and, um, mental health, like anguish mixed with like consumerist problems. So it's like, are you surviving off of a singular source of income? And have you felt anxiety in the past 30 days? And are you considering taking medication? Have you received psychiatric care? And depending on what you answer, it like gives you a source and that source was tied to a website that I put together that's like a collection of like pirated PDFs. So I'm giving you free information as medication to fix these problems, not going to sell you anything, not really saying these books are going to solve anything, but maybe saying, hey, maybe this is why we're here in the first place. You know, maybe this is why things have panned out to the way that they're going, that they have. It's just a guess. I'm not saying that it's the cause, but it's, 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 it's a theory. Um, so that was the grad school work and that was really fun. Unfortunately, it was during like peak COVID. So not a lot of people got to see it. Um, I even installed it on the campus that I work on now and same situation, but enough people attended and got to really understand what my work is about. Um, can I ask you and a to sort of, oh, I'm sorry. Can I ask you, like, I've, I literally have taken a, yeah, I'm so sorry. That was so much. So <laughs> ask me whatever you want. No, yeah. I'm not like stopping you. I'm just saying like, I have this many notes based oh, on Ed, which we'll have to talk about after, but I, um, no, it's not so much part of this show. The whole point of this show is for me to learn how to listen. Right. And for me to mm -hmm. learn like how to sit with someone else, um, and also just like give over control. So no, that was amazing. And there was just so much there. Also the sky is beautiful in Florida right now. Cotton candy. Um, I just want to ask you so many questions, but I'm going to go back to the first question that I have, which is you kind of talked about playing the game. Mm. You talked about being aware. I mean, you didn't say explicitly this, but it seems like at many junctures when you were at the residential facility, when you were interacting with, you know, the people there with the cops, et cetera, et cetera, it seems like you were aware of how the system was rigged. And because of that awareness, you were able to quote unquote, like ante up and play and basically uh, kind of prove your innocence or whatever the fuck, prove your illness. Um, yeah. So I, I just really identify like deeply with that. And I feel like be, because of that, my addictions and like my mental health stuff became super, super hidden because I knew how to hide it. Um, so all of that being said, I'm wondering how, and if and when you realized that, or maybe it didn't, but like race and class and gender also impacted that. And I'm thinking about that because of Jack's comment saying, well, it seems like you must have had a cushy life then um, and any like far from it. So did race, class or gender or any other kind of myriad of intersections come into that, the work that you did with your thesis or your kind of articulations around your experience with mental health? That's, that's a really solid question. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Uh, I, so it, it was, so on issues of race, those were, those were issues that I was introduced to at a young age. Um, cause you know, it was just my dad and I for a while, um, my dad's black. Um, and so we had had conversations about that. I didn't start thinking about how race interacts with mental health specifically until the senior, after I graduated um, with my bachelor's. I, I uh, to sort of keep it like pretty succinct, uh, I was, I did a residency. Uh, my former professor had a creative capital grant and I got to go work on a, on a large project with Superfund sites, uh, which was so cool. Um, if you don't know what a Superfund site is, Basically, it's um, back in the industrial days uh, when the factories at the U.S. like shut down, a lot of the environmental waste, uh, it just kind of got buried. They just stuck it in the ground, um, which obviously is toxic for the land. The problem with that is sometimes that land is either a vacant lot or they'll build like lower income communities on it or next to it, or it's it's generally not in a in a sort of like it's not around a place that has a high socioeconomic status. Uh, so these Superfund sites were in Pueblo, Colorado, and they were notably in areas that hadn't really been gentrified and 
as somebody who, um, you know, was living in that community for a couple of weeks, I got to meet the people and, and he was explaining to me that this was an issue of race and class uh, because of, you know, if you're a small child and you're playing in this toxic dirt, well, there's a chance that's going to affect your, your brain chemistry and your function, which then in the school system gets read as insubordination, which I guess translates to the prison to pipeline system, which mm-hmm. makes sense. And I was like, oh, fuck, like I didn't even think about that. Um, and so that is when I first started thinking about race and mental health with class and mental health came a little bit later. Um, right. So as I mentioned, it was my dad and I, and he didn't really know any better. I mean, he kind of raised me. Uh, my mom is still here. She just wasn't, she just wasn't ready, you know, no problem. Like we get it, you know, uh, she was, she was 20. Um, you know, we still talk, but he was, um, it was just him and I for a minute. So he had no idea what was going on. And in comes this person who has expertise in psychology, but she's also kind of upper or like middle or upper class for the part of Kansas that she's from. Like, you know, her dad owns a car dealership. They got llamas on the property. Like these people have money for the Midwest, right? So for them, it's like, yeah, get that help. That's what you do. You take the pills. And then I started to realize in grad school, like, oh shit, like not everybody who is, not everybody can just access that. Like you can't just do that. Like you're going to be, you know, and Lately with TikTok, I've been seeing a bunch of videos about like how depression is addressed and like BIPOC homes. And I'm like, oh my God, we've had those same conversations at family dinners and stuff. So I didn't start to see these until much later, um, only because they were exposed to me through sort of um, my practice and my research, even though it's something that I've encountered. Uh, it, it wasn't something that I had, I had really thought about. Um, in terms of race and gender and class all coming together. One of my former students at UF when I was doing digital imaging made a really beautiful piece about like medical racism. And she had this thing about like this pregnant woman like being ignored. And and then we started talking about like, yeah, like why are some BIPOC women viewed as like aggressive when they ask for more information from a doctor or if they say they're in pain, like why do these doctors not believe them? Um, Which is concerning like it's not good uh and so it it wasn't something that I had originally encountered only until I started making art if that answers your question or until I started getting more into like the practice yeah I mean I think that was incredibly succinct and it's just something that I that I think about a lot um just because I think you and I and I loved listening to you. And I, I forget like how, when I hear you speak, I hear a lot of my thought processes and it makes me feel less, um, like less, uh, disjointed, I guess, in the ways that I make connections because I'm like, Oh yeah, it totally makes sense that he would pull data from here and present it like that. And, you know, mask it as this, but embed it like this. And that's exactly what I do with my work just with, you know, addiction and, um, and, it's profound the ways in which race and class and gender and sexuality and ability intersect with addiction. And as you can imagine, like if you're someone who is not able-bodied and you're black and you're trans uh, and you're poor, like addiction is, is much more likely to be in your life as are a number of other factors. And it's just not coincidental. And I think you and I should do another, another sober baby episode at some point, uh, looking at how these things could largely be the result of capitalism. Um, but <laughs> but the other question that I have in relation, because we only have 10 minutes left, is, um, is like, low-key, that shit sounds really traumatizing, you know? And I know that that's your life. And I think that um, sometimes we don't realize what we've gone through. I can only speak for me, but I certainly didn't realize the trauma that I had experienced until afterwards with a lot of the trauma some stuff I was like that was fucked up like that was not okay and I'm aware of that but I realized a lot of stuff afterwards and I'm still realizing and so I'm kind of wondering um I don't know like there's this distance between you now and you then and I think that distance comes about through art making but also um 
kind of is like why you're able to even make work about it. Um, so can you, can you maybe even talk about the process that you didn't talk about in your timeline just a little bit, like how you got from, I guess, um, not around the art, but like what you did when you weren't making art, like what helps you literally be okay now, you know, like <laughs> not be yeah. living in this. Um, I think a lot of it came from the direct interactions I had with at least like my dad afterwards. Uh, but I, the short end, like, so at one point after all this had happened, he was like, hey, you know, I don't really think you needed to go through all of that. And to which I was like, yeah, no shit. But, and like other people kind of reassuring that to at least help me process. Cause for a while, part of me is like, okay, like, you know, what is, what is actually going on? Like, what's really wrong with me? Like what, what's cracked? Like what is not working? Um, you know, cause you definitely feel that, but in terms of, you know, how I kind of survive with it. Um, and I realized that this is a really like, like fortunate or like a privileged position to take. And cause it's something that I had to sort of think about because people have asked me like, yo, are, how do you, like, how do you sleep at night? Uh, and my, my response is, you know, I mean, I have like my activities, like I like to stay active in the gym and I like to, you know just be social with people and just kind of like think about it as it happened. And that's sort of how, you know, I, I, I have had family and I have had close friends ask and the answer has pretty much been like, well, this is really unfortunate to voice it like this, but it happened. And I am in a situation that is really beneficial to me. And it's almost as if all of those events didn't matter. Like it, you know, you think back to, like, I remember I was in seventh grade and we had like social studies and they were like, hey, if you've ever been like committed, you can't vote. And I don't know if that's a law anymore, but you can't like own a gun. Like if you, there are so many freedoms taken away from you the minute that you enter the institution. Um, and I, I haven't felt a lot of repercussions from that. I mean, I couldn't even find my records. Like as far as I'm concerned, that this was just a, a ghost of a thing, you know, it, the place isn't open anymore. The people that worked there, they're still around. But as time goes on, it just becomes more of this transient experience. And because of that, and because of the fact that I'm still trying to build a healthy relationship with my dad, at least, um, and because I'm, you know, I'm having this career, right, I'm teaching college, I'm relatively healthy, like I'm kind of living like something of a best life. I think about all these events and I'm like, wow, that didn't, that didn't affect me that much. Well, I mean, it, it did, but you know what I mean? Um, or at least as much as I've seen this sort of thing affect other people, right? You know, I've met people who have gone through this and are unable to, like, they are, some of them are still in these systems. And again, these systems aren't inherently bad. It's just sometimes corruption and things do happen in them. Um, but, you know, I've met people who have been unable to escape from these, or I've met people who unfortunately escaped by other means. And I'm one of those people that kind of, I don't know, in a weird way, got out like semi unscathed, like going to grad school and working and living on my own. Like it just, it's, it's such a weird situation that I just kind of have to sit with myself and say, well, um, it happened. That's okay. I guess we just keep just keep going. I hope that's a satisfactory answer. I'm sorry that that is such a no. such a strange one, but it's how I think about it. No, I think it's beautiful. And um, I'm not looking for anything in my questions. I'm not looking, like I'm, I'm satisfied just sitting here and like looking at you and listening to you. Oh. Um, and, and I think how you ended it is like actually a really kind of beautiful, I guess, final reflection that I had already written down in that, you know, your use of coding and your use of technology um, and the way that you articulated how, you know, you are kind of like doing to these machines the way that you had done to you. You know, there's an input and there's an output. And my work revolves around that, um, that whole concept because addiction is a, 
is a behavioral feedback loop. You know, there's an input and then desire sets in and expectancy and there's an output and it's usually disappointing, but you want to go back for more. I want to go back for more. And so I think I, I never made that connection before that both of our works are about, are about looping. And then what you just talked about was getting out of the loop semi unscathed. And I, I too feel like I got out kind of unscathed, even though it took a lot with me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I also want to underscore, like, it sounds like those experience took so much from you and you're out now. So maybe that's why it's, it's different, but I don't know. I just made that connection. Mm. I mean, that, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, and it, you know, you're right. It's, I think, you know, if you were somebody who was able to exit that loop and you can now look at it externally and especially I'm looking at it externally because the work that I'm making is just telling the thing so I can just watch it. You know, it's not me doing it. I mean, it is, but it's not when it's shown, whatever, it's a technicality. Um, when you're on that outer place and you can meet random people and they have no idea what you've gone through, you don't come off as any kind of way. That's like, jarring it's like wow really like and then in the instance that i do talk about this people are like i had no idea oh my gosh and i'm like oh okay so you think i'm just like no or i got you we're, we're good mm. really how does it feel to watch that work happening oh can i answer this question real quick is there time yeah there's two minutes okay okay uh how does it feel to watch that work happening great question uh, on one half, I get kind of pissed if it doesn't work correctly and I plug it in and nothing goes the way that I want it to. Assuming that I actually do it the way that I intend to and I get to watch it, um, part of me just kind of enjoys letting it go and letting other people listen to it. So when I tend to make my work, I inject like quite a bit of dry and dark humor into it. So that allows me to make it a lot easier to digest. Um, but to answer your question, not not Ali. Uh, it's, um, it's pretty, it's pretty fine. You know, when you develop a work so much, you remove yourself from it even further and step further away from it in a way that it's really hard to have a sentimental attachment because it, it's just work at the end of the day, it's an object. I'm probably going to make 50 more talking about the same topic. So I tend to not get so caught up in it and more just like, is it doing what I want it to do? Is it? accomplishing its goal and is this satisfactory for me at this point in time and that I know I said the same thing like three ways but that's that's kind of how I view it I could not have imagined a better way to spend the day that I turned my thesis in than listen to you talk about your work because wow yeah like thank you do you want to come back <laughs> if you'll have me we can talk about other stuff too um I'm always happy to do that yeah just let me know i will um if people have further questions about your art practice or about kind of where you're at or where they might like look at your work can they reach out to you on instagram or is there a better place where people can do that instagram is going to be a lot easier um okay. that tends to be where i'm a bit more active uh so yeah i'm at devlin underscore makes uh i assume some of you guys can see my my name at the top um, but yeah, if you have questions, I'm pretty open, right? Generally, I'll talk about most anything, um, even if you just kind of want to relate, you know, I'm definitely happy to hear you out. Uh, sometimes that's also just helpful, too. Mm. Yeah, this was so helpful for me. This was like, I feel like my past self knew that I needed this this week and just like set me up for success. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. Um, I am going to just like message you a thousand things after because my brain is a little bit spinning, but thank you for being here. And thank you for just like being so real and so lovely. And, um, and I'm proud of us, you know, like I'm really proud of us. Like we made it through that shit. <laughs> oh yeah. They didn't, UF did not take a piece of my soul. They, uh, they took a thief. My... <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Actually. Oh man. <laughs> Did you, are you in the, you showed in the UG? Were you able to show in the gallery? No, just Libby. And then I did one okay. off. Nice. I was wondering how that went. Yeah. Awesome. I'm happy to hear that really. Yes. It went yeah. amazing. And yeah, people love you in the chat. People hate you uh, up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Early fuck you oh, up. Oh no. 
Yeah. Okay. Another time. We'll talk about, yeah. UF is super problematic. Um, thanks for being here, Devlin. <laughs> thanks <laughs> for you. having me, Marina. Uh, thank Bye, you everyone. so much. See ya. Hey, this is Marina, the host and creator of Sober Baby. Hang out until after the credits for cringy and cute selections from behind the scenes. To listen to all of our episodes, watch the live show each week, and to support Sober Baby, head to our link tree, l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e backslash Sober Baby. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping make this show possible. My college cutie Miranda DeMaze Nordling for music direction, curation, and licensing through Now Again Records. Queen of Crochet, Jenny Alpa for audio engineering. My partner, Danny Vargas, for the endless support and love. And all of the sober babies out there, because without you, this doesn't happen. Oh, I totally forgot to get my drink, Danny. Can you get me a drink? It's, it's the LaCroix. Hi, everyone. I'm trying to figure out the lighting in here. I don't know if the lighting is where it's at right now.